Welcome to Chiropractical. I'm Mike Whitmer, and today we are talking about an issue that can really impact your practice. The other night, I was watching a documentary about a city employee in a small Midwestern town who embezzled $53 million over several years. I also recently had a conversation with a chiropractor who suffered a significant loss due to employee dishonesty. In both cases, the processes and internal controls were not in place to prevent the losses or even detect that they were happening. Nobody wants to go into their practice one morning to find their practice as a house of cards that has started to collapse because of the dishonest and often criminal activities of a trusted member of the team. This is a widespread issue that anybody who has employees should be concerned about. How can you protect your practice and yourself? How can internal controls help us manage this risk? To help us understand what can be done to prevent a very bad situation from occurring, we have Julie Nesbitt with us. Julie is a CPA and Senior Managing Consultant with Forvis LLP. You can learn more about Julie's experience in the show notes. Julie has a broad range of experience and has seen it all. Welcome to Chiropractical. Julie, help us understand, what are the risks we're trying to manage here, and what are the benefits of implementing effective internal controls for a healthcare practice? When most people think of internal controls, they mainly focus on these controls just being in place to protect the company's assets against fraud, embezzlement, stealing. Um, and they're not wrong. That is a huge part of it. But another part of it is also to protect the financial integrity of the organization and making sure that the financial records are accurate and the workflows and processes are effectively executed. We're all human. We all make mistakes. So something as innocent as fat fingering a number can result in an error. So internal controls and procedures, they're not only in place to protect the company's assets, but also to make sure that financial information is accurate. So we want to put those checks and balances in place to ensure that's the case. Do you have an example of a story, perhaps, about a business that experienced a bad situation due to their lack of internal controls and processes? When I actually had my own consulting firm, one of my clients, they were a victim of embezzlement by the prior controller. Their accounting department was very small, and she had her hands on a lot of different pieces, a, a lot of control. She had access to the information. She was recording the information as well as monitoring it. She controlled all those three pieces, um, which is what we usually assess when we're looking at those internal controls. She also had access to the checkbook and a signature stamp, which in my world is a big no-no. You're kind of just asking for it. So all it takes is one dishonest person to take advantage of that situation. Typically in smaller physician practices, the office manager wears a lot of hats and they have access to a lot of information. I think we've all heard stories of those office managers. Some of them just don't have great intentions, and they have that opportunity. And sometimes, unfortunately, they take advantage of it. Great points. What are the key components of internal controls? What areas of the practice do doctors and practice managers need to address with their internal controls? Mike, we typically look at a few major categories when we're looking at the accounting workflows. The first one is accounts receivable. So money coming in, whether it's through the mail or 
uh, patients paying in the office. The other category is accounts payable. This is money going out, whether we're writing checks or creating electronic payments. There's also payroll, inventories. These are the main categories that we want to focus on when we're thinking of internal controls. And when we do these internal control assessments, we're really looking at who has access who has the ability to record in the general ledger, and who is monitoring and reviewing these workflows. If we perform an assessment for a client and we see that one person has responsibilities in all three of those buckets, that's a red flag for us. And that's where we really want to try to create internal controls around those different pieces to make sure that there's not one person touching that whole workflow. And sometimes in these smaller operations, it's tough to do. It's tough to have those proper segregation of duties, but there are other things we can do uh, within the workflows and creating other controls and putting those in place to make sure that we are mitigating this risk as much as possible. Describe some common internal control activities and how they can help a practice manage their risk. It really starts at the very beginning uh, before you even hire someone. You want to make sure your hiring policy, it's including detailed background checks, drug testing, credit checks. You want to make sure that these individuals aren't in those high-risk categories. And you also want to create a culture that focuses on protecting the company assets and ensuring that everyone knows the policies and procedures. They're in place for a reason and they will be enforced. And so you want to communicate that there is a zero tolerance policy and you will be terminated and possibly criminally charged if you partake in these risky activities. Along with that, there's also IT controls, lots of IT controls we can put in place. If you have, whether it's an internal or external IT support service that you're working with, they can certainly build in controls into the system. And we can also work with our, like I said, with the AR and AP, we really want to just make sure that we're creating an environment where these controls are systematic. So the person that's taking payment, we don't want that to be the same person that's reconciling the bank deposits, that endorsing the checks, creating the deposit log. So once again, when we're looking at that workflow, we want to make sure that there are, that there's not just one person controlling that entire process. We want to make sure that we're reconciling the bank accounts every month and that someone is reviewing those other than the person preparing them. We want inventory controls in these offices. We have medications, supplies, even just access to the building, whether it's key cards and really controlling that. And with payroll, we do have, there are many instances of fraud where someone is increasing increasing their pay rate or padding their hours, really just making sure once again that someone is reviewing that and they're not the same person that is entering that information. And sometimes the owner might need to get more involved. I know business owners are busy, physicians are busy, uh, but sometimes it does make sense for them to take on more of that review, just getting their eyes on it and making sure that they're aware um, of what's going on. Let's say a practice gets on top of this by developing and implementing a a great plan for internal controls, building in the key things that we're talking about today. Are we done? Or do we need to monitor, evaluate, revise the plan, tweak it as we move forward? Yes. And there's always continuously monitoring and reevaluating and and assessing. And every now and then just taking a look at those workflows and the controls and saying, hey, do we need to change these at all? Do we need to tweak them? Lots of practices who have been victims have these policies in place, but maybe they're not necessarily enforced. It's easy to say, hey, we have this written in a handbook somewhere buried in the bottom of someone's file cabinet. But if they know that it's not 
proactively approached and there's not intentional review and making sure that we're being diligent. Unfortunately, like we said, sometimes it just takes one dishonest person or someone that's just in a precarious financial situation. They have the opportunity. Unfortunately, they might take advantage. So they're also their software to monitor. I have heard of clients that actually have software that monitors every single mouse click of their employees. I think some people have different takes on that. But if that's what it takes, I will say that when you're owning a business, when you're running a business, it is your responsibility to the business and to the other employees to make sure that you are creating these internal controls and protecting the company assets. If I'm a doctor and I'm trying to get my arms around this, what help is out there for our listeners? Are there resources available to help with this process? Absolutely. As much as sometimes it's a little dangerous to do quick Google searches, it's certainly a good place to start. And it can really get you thinking of some of the the things that we mentioned today and just try to get your just a starting place. But when it comes to truly diving in, implementing, assessing and documenting these controls, you might need a little bit more assistance. Consultants like myself, We can assess those workflows, we can document it, we can identify areas of high risk, and then also make suggestions on uh, ways to improve these procedures and create more internal controls. And then we can assist you in doing that, helping you kind of ongoing monitoring that. There's also industry-specific, financially-focused organizations like HFMA, who have a ton of resources for these types of challenges. And of course, last but not least, we're seeing more and more insurance providers like yourself provide guidance and resources on these topics. At the end of the day, you all have a shared interest in protecting the practice and its assets and making sure that its financials have that quality and are accurate, complete, and we maintain that financial integrity. Julie, thank you so much. You've given us a lot to think about. And just a note for our listeners, we will be posting Julie's contact information in the show notes if any of you have questions that you'd like to ask. In today's Ask NCMIC segment, we're addressing a question submitted by Dr. David Gray. Dr. Gray has seen a lot of viral TikTok videos and is considering joining some of the trends. Is this a good idea? We invited Shanna Patrick from NCMIC's claims team to help us understand the risks. Shanna, what do you think? Yeah, thanks, Mike. Everyone nowadays has social media and it can be a tempting way to get your name out there, personalize your business, or even help people. Um, There's several things to consider, though, when you're considering putting content up on social media. The main thing is going to be HIPAA. If you're recording patient treatment or even a patient testimonial, that could be a HIPAA violation. If a patient does consent to being in a social media post, you'll have to have them sign an express consent form telling them exactly how their image is going to be used on your socials. Even with that, they could still regret being a part of it later and there could be a complaint or litigation. Um, So that's one consideration. Usually social media posts, it's more tempting to put things on there that are more sensationalized on the fringe or outside of the norm because those are the things that people like to see on social media. Keep in mind that when you post something, anything that could be deemed to be outside of your scope of practice, below the standard of care, It could be used against you if there is a complaint or even a completely unrelated malpractice litigation. We have seen that become subject of litigation or a licensing board investigation. You should refrain also from giving any type of medical advice in a social media post. These aren't your patients. You don't know their medical history and you can't even confirm 
that the person viewing your content is within a state that you're licensed. So you could have some licensing implications as well. So be conscientious of those things. Thank you, Shanna. You're welcome, Mike. That wraps up another episode of Chiropractical. Please check out the show notes for more information about our guest. And thanks for joining us. Talk soon. Talk soon.